you know, and there's some who are naturally just naturally engage, but it's it's about really not diminishing what they have. So if the young person is going off at you, don't take away their mouth, just teach them how to use it in an effective way. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello everyone and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my delight to be speaking with Sizzle Wenkosi Fuyana. Sizzle is a phenomenon. She's a, a businesswoman, a podcaster, a youth advocate and a law student. And she's had a really powerful and I'd say moving journey, you know, overcoming her own adversities and mental health issues, you know, building her own organization. And that's really focused on how to support disadvantaged young people who are at risk from entering the youth or the youth justice system. She's the founder and director of Fuyana Support as a youth-oriented consultancy, providing social and emotional well-being to young people and equipping them with the skills that, that they need and, frankly, we all need to be more effective members of communities. And she's done some really awesome work, particularly uh, with youth at the Dondale Youth Detention Centre in the Northern Territory of Australia. She's also chair of the 2021 Northern Territory Youth Roundtable, which is actually how I was delighted to meet her recently uh, in, in Darwin. Uh, she's a law psychology student in her spare time, I guess, and she was recently named the 2022 Northern Territory Young Australian of the Year, which is, I'm not surprised about, but I'm absolutely delighted about. So, Sizzle, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Sizzle, we always start with a, a question. This is all about learning. And, and learning is, in my view, this kind of core human instinct, you know, how we grow, develop, expand, evolve. So what's something that you've learned recently? Something I've learned recently, it's, it's a tall poppy syndrome, if I'm quite honest. <laughs> Interesting. Tell us more. And actually, yeah, because I think when you achieve these things, and I'm not someone who came, like, my, I didn't have funding to start my business. My parents didn't, you know, there was no setup. It was just from scratch. And I, well, you know, when I was named... Uh, NT Young Australian of the Year, I expected my, you know, my people, my friends and to be happy for me, you know, but I quickly realised that first weekend that, yeah, a lot of people weren't happy and, yeah, it was it was that whole poppy syndrome of we're trying to bring someone else down to get up, whereas actually we can all be successful and it, success is different, you know, someone might be successful in music and that's something I've learned and I've learned mm. how to deal with that. Interesting. Yeah. Sizzle, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard recently this powerful sentiment that, you know, when we feel envious as human beings, as learners, as entrepreneurs, you know, that that envy really is unrealized potential for self. And so isn't that powerful? So there's something around tapping into that and saying, okay, well, what is it that we need to do around the way we construct our society, our schools, our universities, our communities? our workplaces that help everyone step into their power and realize that it's actually not a competition because none of us are the same. So we've all got our own journey. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about your journey because it's a, it's a really powerful journey that you continue to be on. Yeah, so I was born in Zimbabwe uh, in Africa. Uh, we moved when I was about three, me and my family. So there's my mum and dad, 
and I've got three other siblings. And so we moved when I was three to England. We lived in England for 10 years, um, basically grew up in England. Uh, it's called football, in case people are <laughs> <laughs> confused. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so moved to Australia in 2012, in September. So my parents are social workers. They got jobs um, through the Department of Children and Families at the time, which right. is now obviously takes your families. Uh, and then we moved over. And so growing up, I was always like a troubled, like I was the naughtiest in my family. Like even as a kid, like I was just naughty. I wouldn't listen. I just didn't like being told what to do. Mm. So like if I felt like someone was trying to tell me what to do, like I just didn't, yeah, it didn't sit right with me. So I'll just do the opposite. Even though I was going to do what I was, what they said anyway, but because I've been told to do it, I'll do the opposite. Interesting. But um, I went through some hard stuff at school. Like when I was a kid, I used to get bullied for being like African. So kids used to like, you know, tell me I had a bowler and stuff like that and wow. like go back, you know, go back to where you came from. And I copped it a lot at school. And because everyone would laugh at me, I used to just get angry and use it as a defense mechanism because obviously I wanted to cry, but then they'll laugh at me more. So mm. I used to just get angry and have a go at them and fight at school. So that literally started when I was literally in middle in primary school, you know, like, like eight. Mm. And that, yeah, even when I moved to Australia, you know, we went to a private school and I, I copped that throughout my, you know, middle school and high school. Wow. And I never actually took time to understand, like, where, why Sizzle was always angry, you know, like, because in my way, I was just living in survival mode my whole life. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, 20, end of, I finished school in 2018 and I got myself a job at a law firm. And like three months in, I lost a close friend. So I lost my best friend to suicide. Wow. Um, three months in. And I had always lost family members, but it had because my family is, is back home and I barely see them, you know, I see them every three years. Losing my best mate was, yeah, it hit me like, yeah, it was, it was really, it really did get to me. Um, and then like, I think, my way of defending myself, which was which was getting angry, sort of unraveled, and that became actually so you're hurting, and I had to really face myself. And yeah, it was quite a journey. I landed my I was in hospital a few times for suicide attempts, and you know, in and out of hospital and seeing psychiatrists. And then there was a time where someone said to me, "Sizzle, your life," you know, and they said to me, "Sizzle, one day you're going to change the world." I looked at it and I said, "I'm in this psych ward. How is?" How is that possible? I've just lost mm. my job. And she said to me, your life is governed by your mind. Like life is about perspective. And I looked at her and I said, what is this lady on about? You know? right, yeah, <laughs> I was <yeah>. like, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> so I took that in and I really applied it. I started to understand who I was because I wasn't working at the time. I really spent like time getting to know Sizzle and mm. understanding me and building a relationship with myself. Like I know it yeah. sounds like, you know, so – yeah, and then after, like, I think it was, like, six months, I was, like, reading books, like, Tony Robbins' books and just understanding myself and the power that I'm potential and potential that I have. And then I realised that, you know, with obviously because I wasn't working and I was looking for a job at the time and I, I got rejected from McDonald's. Wow. And I realised that life, you know, the situation in life is not the problem. It's the meaning that we give the situation. 
So I changed the meaning of my job rejections and I was like, oh, maybe I'm too expensive for people to pay me. So <laughs> I was like, if that's the case, I must start my own business. So nice. that's literally how my business came about. And all I knew about business was that businesses was about service and value. They were fixed. Every business is fixing a problem in society. If you look at plumbers, whenever mm. my toilet busts, I call a plumber to fix it. I was like, what is a problem that I can work towards fixing? And how can I add value to society? Mm. And then I was like, what am I passionate about? And I want young people, youth. And it's, yeah, took off. Cesar, that's an amazing journey. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, and there's a couple of, there's two things I want to just zoom in on, I suppose. Because a lot of this podcast actually is very much about how we humanize our societies and our schools and our you know, in, in, as we move into the future. And I think there's a couple of moments in the journey that you've just vulnerably and powerfully shared where you decided to humanize yourself. Something happened where you say, actually, I'm going to build a relationship with myself. Like, I'm going to do some self-work or self-knowledge, right? Like one of the core things of know thyself, you know? And the other piece, mm -hmm. you know, that the difference between understanding like, if, are we a situation, you know, like is the situation making me feel this way or is it the meaning to which I am assigning to this context? And I don't know who that woman was that told you about like, hey, you know, like, you know, this is how you're looking at it from different lens or whatever. I'd love you to talk more about that. But, you know, the idea yeah. that really it's that ability to take perspective and realize that actually within you, says, or within me, within yeah. every human being, within every student, learner, teacher, yeah. principal, leader, change maker, is like is so much potential. If and so, how we create the conditions for that really, I think, is all the well. That's what every yeah. one of these conversations is about. So take us, mm -hmm. yeah, just zoom into those two pieces because those are foundational moments. Yeah, you know that, that mean that we're talking right now. The the whole self. Because it takes a lot to pull yourself out of that. Because no one else was telling me that I need to go build a relationship with myself. I just, part of me was like, if you're not dead after the third time, maybe it's just, it's not going to work. Sizzle, that was, in all honesty, Luca, that was, yeah, I was like, mm. I'm still here for every reason. And I had a high school principal and I, I bring her up all the time because she just played such a big role in who I am today. And in fact, I'm seeing her tomorrow. I'm catching her oh, tomorrow. Oh, great. And... I was never someone who liked teachers. Like I used to butt heads with teachers, but she just knew how to work around me and I absolutely adore her. Um, she knew how to look past my behavior and because all behavior is a form of communication. I'm communicating something through my behavior. Yeah. And she, she did that so well with me in a way that, because I was such a defiant young person that anyone could challenge me and like it was World War Three. but she did it in such a soft way and she worked around me and she built that rapport with me and she she she, she cared, you know. And mm. as a 15, 13, 15-year-old, 15 I'm looking for that. I'm looking for love, you know. And yeah. that's what she showed me. She showed me genuine care. She didn't judge me for whatever I had done in the classroom. She went, obviously, she there was consequences, but she did it in such a way where it was like, oh, I'm sorry, but I have to suspend you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> sort of thing. And so she played, <laughs> she played a big role in just helping me, like guiding me and not trying to fix me, but just walking the steps with me. Mm. Yeah. So, and I think a part of that 
and obviously that nurse in hospital saying that stuff to me, I sort of put the two and two together. You know, I was like, this person, like this teacher believed in me even when no one else did. And I've got this nurse who doesn't even know me and she's got faith in me. And I just put that together. I said, actually, this is all you might. And it was literally like a probably 2% might, you know. I was like, you might actually be worth something. Um, and I was just holding on to that. You know, I was really just holding on to actually the same, this isn't the end of my life. Mm. And when I think at the same time, I like, I didn't want to die. I wanted to, I wanted to live. It's just, you don't want to live in pain. You know, you don't want to live in feeling hopeless or, or empty. And so when I had those two people in my life, that's what it sort of empowered, helped me empower myself to take that step. Well, I'm grateful that those two people were in your life and that you listened to them as well and you actually took that step. I'd love, I'd love for you to talk a bit about kind of who, well, you're talking about who you are, which is really the, the most important conversation there is, right? And then from that place, we can talk about what we try to do and, and what we're trying to learn, uh, what we're trying to enable. So tell us a little bit about the work you do kind of as an advocate. Um, yeah. Particularly with the NT Youth Roundtable, which for anyone listening, um, did some wonderful work uh, at the recent Leaders Summit in the Northern Territory for all the school leaders across that part of Australia. Um, and I have to say the Youth Roundtable was the standout conversation and it's because it was so real, it was elevating young people onto the stage to say, this is, what, this is the education we need you to co-design with us. Take us into that world a bit, Sizzle. So the roundtable, initially, if I'm quite honest, I wasn't going to apply for it because, like, I looked at my calendar, I'm like, I'm at capacity, you know. <laughs> but everyone was just pushing the application at me. Like, everyone was, like, left, right and center. Like, everyone went, everyone was like, Sizzle, roundtable, we need to apply. And the first, the first couple of people was like, oh, no, they're just saying that because I just work with the youth. But then, like, everyone started saying, it. I was like, okay, I'll apply. And I went for the interview and I got in. And see, I'm the type of person who... I just, uh, look, I'm not, I, I don't call myself a leader. Like, I don't see myself. I just naturally, I just talk to everyone. Like, if, if you know, like, I walk into a room and just talk to everyone just to get to know people and just, you know, have that mm -hmm. connection. And so, obviously, I had a few issues to take to government myself, obviously, regarding, you know, the detention centre and the support for young people when they leave the detention centre because it's just a reoccurring cycle. And so I had my own issues that I wanted to address and actually work with government to, you know, find a solution towards, not just me complain at government because too often we complain, but we don't even, we don't want to come up with solutions. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, so went in and, yeah, first meeting we had was at the one of the hotels here and, you know, just we learned about professionalism, you know, meeting with ministers, et cetera, and we have other people from other regions, so Tennant Creek, Nolan Boy, Alice Springs, who also come and meet in Darwin, who have their own issues that they want to address and solutions they want to propose to government. Um, so, yeah, first meeting went in and we had the elections, you know, for chair, vice chair. And I actually, I wasn't going to go for it. Like, I was at capacity. I was like, oh, I don't know. But then everyone nominated me for chair. <laughs> so I can't, like, if the people have spoken, I can't just, you know... Yeah, yeah. This is, this is on that. I just, there's something about the reluctant leader, do you know? There's someone that, yeah. 
actually kind of it's more about service. Yes. And because of that, people feel it and see it, and then they they say, "Please do this on behalf of, yeah. on behalf of, we want you to represent us." And you're like, "Oh, well, okay." <laughs> there seems to be kind of a there seems to be a pattern in in your story so far where this seems to. Occur. Yeah, I, I I'm a doer, you know. Like I'm I'm a very I just can't. I, I think because I struggled so much, I just don't want to see anyone else go through it. You know, if I could take away the pain other people going through, like I would. And in a way, like some pain is healthy. You know, in a way, pain helps us grow. But there's some stuff that I went through and I just, it, it just breaks my heart seeing someone else go through it. Yeah. And so if I could, I just, I, just, I didn't try to make a difference. I just, I feel like I've just <laughs> been assigned to, do you know what I mean? Like I didn't. <laughs> You know, 16-year-old sizzle. I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. That's all I – because I could argue well. I could yeah, argue sure. with teachers. I could speak well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's the only reason why I wanted to be a lawyer. But I just had a passion for social justice. Even from a young age, I had a passion for, you know, making sure that people got treated fairly mm. and, you know, people were accountable for their actions, etc. And so I was always about service. I can't, I can't express service enough. And even in my speech uh, for the youngest friend of the year – um, I mentioned that we're all trying to chase rewards, but chasing rewards won't get you anywhere. The key is service because your rewards um, and your service and rewards go hand in hand. You know, you naturally get rewards when you serve. Like you don't have to seek it, you know. And even if you don't get it, it's not about the award. It's about touching other people's lives and mm. making a difference. So I think yeah, it, really, yeah, it really touches my heart when I can help people and I can see people grow and I can, yeah. Oh, this is all it's just inspiring stuff. I mean, uh, just reflecting on you. Know, I mean, I, I think, are you twenty? I mean, this, this, uh, you're yeah. just like dropping some truth bombs. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really there's a wisdom that you've you kind of hold about that. So, I mean, people go through their whole lives, you know, striving for career, and then realize it was never about them. And this is wonderful line that I heard from Adam Grant, who's a professor of psychology at, at Wharton, actually. And, this idea of being confidently humble, confident humility. So it's knowing like this is this is my purpose, this is what I can contribute to the world and being humble in that as well and saying I still don't know. Like in fact there's so much I, st- I will never know. And being able to have that, dyna- you know, and that being that kind of colleague, teacher, learner, partner, whatever it is in life, right? I'm just really interested in that and you seem to embody it. So this is, it's really amazing to. I, I want yeah. you. To, yeah, actually, you share anything that comes up for you around that. Like, where did that Not come really. from? Really, oh, <laughs> you know I, mean? I like, think. I well adjusted, like, whatever I, the word is, you know, like it somehow has happened. You've made it happen. I think it's all those struggles, you know, because in a way, like I, I look, I used to look back and be really embarrassed about what I went through, but I was like, if I hadn't have actually gone through that, I wouldn't be the person I am. So I think it's, yeah, it's been the struggles because I was never one to have an ego. Like growing up, I was never one. But there was times where I I was prideful, like, Mm. you know, and I think life will humble you in a way. Like it's it's sad that like life, if you, because I've seen my mates who have won similar awards and then they become, 
you know, prideful and egotistic and they've lost the award. And I feel like life will naturally just humble you when you... <laughs> when, when you know, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the way, I'm just like, the pride thing doesn't just, it doesn't sit right with me because I just feel like pride is, is a way to cover insecurities. Mm. I feel like it is in, in my nice. life. And I, I think because of like what I've learned and what I've read and studied, I see it with people and I'm just like, I don't even fight it anymore. I'm just like, they'll come to terms with it when they, when they realize, you know. Oh, that's so, that's so powerful. I, I'd love us to talk about like learning systems now. I mean, some of the work that you led as, as chair alongside your fantastic peers that I also met, um, you know, about really consulting with different communities, different learners across Northern Territory, and you know, this is an enormous landmass for all of those listening not in Australia. I mean, we're talking some distance here, you know, hours and hours away. Um, you know, it's the idea of like how do you elevate those young people's voices about the kind of education that they want, and and you know, the formation of a new strategy, you know, a ten-year strategy, actually um, about engagement. How do you really focus down on engagement? Uh, you know, and with that come things like learner achievement and and well-being and a range of other outcomes that we would want so what did you what did you learn through that process and what would you share about you know the way that we're speaking really about empowerment and understanding ourselves and what we can contribute in developing the skills needed um as it applies to school systems yeah i think well we we had heaps of consultations during the round table and there was nothing that really stood out to me until the education engagement strategy came out. I was like, oh, this is what I needed at school. Like, it just, it really hit me. At first, when they explained to me, I was like, oh, what's this now? Like, you know, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah, I'm not sure. You're like, to... oh, here's another thing. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not really one to get impressed by government. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so when it came out and it was explained to me, I was like, wow, this is what I needed when I was at school. And when I realized if I had this at school, how different my schooling experience could have mm. been. And I realized actually, this is what every child needs, you know, because we all have needs, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we all have needs. And until those needs are met, there's no way you're going to get me engaged in learning. And I, I reflected back to my principal because she would meet my needs first and then she would get, she would, yeah. you know, because those teachers that would just, bark at me and I'm like don't you know don't talk to me like that but she got to know me and meet my needs and that's how I engage so when mm. I put the two and two together I was like wait this is exactly what my principal did for me it just yeah. wasn't in the strategy at the time she just did it out of care um I, and I think having young people's voice and not even just us as roundtable members but the young people in Dondale having their voices heard because until we realize what's driving their behavior because I feel like a lot of the engagement strategy can tackle what's driving their behaviour. And because youth crime, what we're seeing is not the, you know, youth crime is not the, like, we've got to look at what causes that. Do you know what I mean? Youth crime is the effect. We've got mm. trauma, homelessness and everything else to deal with. So I feel like that strategy um, amplifies those those needs that first need to be met for young people. Yeah, it seems like the key... I mean, I just remember some of the key themes there, like motivation, meaningful learning, relationships and expert educators and well-being and inclusion, you know, as the things that young people spoke about. And I also just reflect that it's not actually the kind of product that's created. 
often, which is in some ways any document created, right? Any strategy is a product. It's a point in time, et cetera. It's great. looks beautiful. It's the process that helped to create that because that's what can shift culture, can shift organizational perspective or vantage points perhaps. Um, yeah. yeah, and for, it's so funny like how often as a teacher, uh, which I obviously have been, you know, like we have conversations about learners and about learning and they're never in the room, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of yes. like that role of who we think we have to be, you know, rather than who we might need to be and that is vulnerable because that means letting go of other other past states of who we think well a teacher has control of a classroom you know like it's a classroom that's too noisy is actually unproductive you know there's all these kind of beliefs right that you kind of in hold as a teacher yeah. um but just like students are the same or oh, to be a student means to sit here and absorb information as opposed to you know it's like everyone is kind of playing in this kind of soup which is sometimes called the grammar of schooling as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, the language of learning, which is more around the kind of human growth and development piece and things we're discussing. So, yeah, I just, I, I really want, like, what do you think it's going to take? What do you think of the key, because we've talked about a bit of the key themes. What do you think as someone that's got a really close lived experience of this and working still in the youth space, are the steps we need to take towards really shifting the experience and environments for learners and teachers? I think so. Because as a, as a business, as a consultancy business, we like I stand by the engagement strategy as well. I, and it's the first government document that I can say that I I stand by. You know, like as a business, I mm. and we're actually like we've implemented programs that align with that, with those um, with those four key yeah um outcomes, and. I think in a way it's about young people teaching young people. Because I remember in the classroom, if a teacher was like trying to tell me about life, like I used to be like, oh yeah, like miss you're 50, you know, like it's not until <laughs> someone my age who yeah. went through, sorry, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. but it wasn't until someone my age came into the room and was like, actually I was suspended. I went through this, but I'm still here studying law. That's yeah. when I could connect with them. That's what inspired me. So I think having young people come into schools like the way we've just started running programs into school in schools um it's it's what we need but then also there's a second part to the strategy where you've got mm. your disengaged young people right and i i experienced this because those teachers that i'll go to class and they just look they rolled their eyes as soon as i ro- uh, walked in because they'll like, oh, sizzle everyone knew you know like it was trouble so then i would backfire because you've given me a wall what am i going to give you back i'm just gonna you know it's just gonna we're just mm. gonna be fighting so I think in a way, educating teachers around not to have that stigma, that stereotype, because once we, once you place that stereotype on me, I'm going to behave like that. Yeah. But with my principal, who, who didn't put that stereotype in me, I was a different person. That's interesting. Um, so training teachers up to go, okay, it's, for, and I, it's frustrating, Luca, like it is as a teacher. I, like it is. It's, it is. When you've got yeah. 30 other kids and you've That's got this good. one, yeah, it is. It's a tough, but tough it's, and important role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but. It's. I just can't stress enough how how important it is to, to take away that stigma and that stereotype of that young person. Because mm. yeah, it, if if I could if I'd rocked up to every other class and had no one judge me, although I should behave, but mm. because they everyone looking at me and there was all sizzles here, oh, <laughs> I had to give them a show. Like, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, it, it, yeah, it, it reminds me, sizzle, of this reflection that. 
you know, people behave as we expect them to often. So this, we know this about labeling, for example, labeling students as X or Y, you know, and this is as you were talking about, you know, once you stereotype someone as the, the naughty child, well, they, they meet your expectations. Of course they do. So, you know, what do we need instead? Well, what if we considered that everyone was a unique human within this beautiful yeah. human organization mm-hmm. and rather than finding out, you know, what you're not great at across school, like actually being able to step into your authenticity and your own selfhood. I just yes. think that is a, like, and schools are doing it already. Yeah. And they're doing it, I think, because all the human beings, parents, leaders, teachers, learners, are allowing themselves to step into that, that evolutionary space, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and that's so important, you know, because when we look at these young people, especially disengaged ones, young people are like a ball of energy. You know, because a lot, you know, I had the, the same mouth that advocates for young people is the same mouth that was swearing at teachers at school. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, I was just full sure. of energy and I just had to be diverted into something more effective and something that contributes to society. Right. That's what we have to do with young people is that, okay, how can we divert this into what you love to do? Because service is part of us. We we want to be served and we, we naturally want to serve others, you know, and when we can divert young people into, because people, young people, um, you know, I had a young person in today's classroom who, you know, she's quite disengaged, but because I know how to connect with her, I was able to weed her into the program, mm. you know, and there's some who are naturally just naturally engaged, but it's, it's about really not diminishing what they have. So if the young person is going off at you, don't take away their mouth. Just teach them how to use it in a more effective way. Mm. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's just a powerful sentiment. Don't take away their mouth. Help them to use it more effectively. Empower them to do so. Yeah. Wow, Cecil. So, so, on, this, on this line of inquiry, what do you hope for the future of education? You know, this is really about prospection. How do we kind of look into the future about what we might want as a vision, an evolutionary vision, right? For where, and then return yeah. to the present and act. Um, how would you describe a school of the future? Have you ever been to Down High School? Not yet. So Down High School, I must say, it's a public school. So my sister went there and, like she did, she obviously went to private schools before I finished up the private school. She went to the public school and her grades, like she was getting B's in the private school and she just like 95 ATA and I finished with 37. Like, so she flourished. And I think a big part of it, because I studied it after I finished school, I said, why is it that she flourished? Obviously my behavior contributed, but taking away my behavior, I was like, what was the difference? And because she was free to be who she wanted to be. Like the uniform policy was like, come as you are. Obviously, with with you know, pop, you know other you know, rules and standards, but it wasn't like because I couldn't wear black socks at school, and I used to be like, why can't I wear black socks? So <laughs> down high school was more like, come as you are, and we'll empower you, and that's what I found was a big difference with that school. And you know, I know they get like top grades every year, um, uh, and they really just they didn't force a young person to be a certain way. They took yeah. the young person as they were, and they empowered. The, if you wanted to do art. Those opportunities in that no one judged you if you wanted to be a top art um, professor or a painter. Whereas at the public at the private school, 
oh, if you want to do bat your eyes, everyone will be like, oh, no, like, they do laws, you know? So it's the way we we shouldn't be trying to fix or mould young people. We need to just help young people explore what they want to explore mm. and guide them and guide them. You know, if it's not the like, – teachers told me I would never get into law because of how I was at school, but actually I'm in my second year now. Whereas down high school, it was more like, you want to do art, okay, what's, what's, what, how can we support you in doing that? So I think in a way, letting young people take control of their learning with us guiding, with, the, with us being guides, not so much on a control. So I think that's, that's what I want to see in the future. And we are doing this now. Like, and I'm trying mm. to implement that into these programs. Like when I go in and I, I say to young people, what are the problems What, what are the problems that you identify? Instead of me coming in and being like, oh, yeah, you guys need to stop fighting at school. I help so, them identify the issues and help them walk with them in, you know, walk with them when coming up with the solutions as well. Mm. So, yeah, I think less of the control, more of the just guiding, guiding and assisting and shifting, you know. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it just connects to so many of the conversations we've had here as well and that I continue to have through whatever it is I do in the world, you know, which is this idea, how do we, how do you move from kind of compliance, a system that drives compliance and competition and control into one that truly liberates and activates agency and activates passion and purpose. You know, in some ways, you know, it's like, there's so many great reflections on this. Education is not the filling of a bucket, a filling of a pail, it's the lighting of a fire, you know, and clearly just through your own journey, that fire has well and truly been lit. Which is, and I think the great thing is communities get to benefit from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Sizzle, I um, oh, so many more things to delve into. I mean, I think what's really interesting about our conversation is like, it's actually about, it's a very human conversation and I think there's something about the way that you show up, which I just want to honour you for, which is this authenticity you know, and I, I, maybe it's because as you've reflected, it's been the journey that you've taken and some of the really significant challenges that you've kind of overcome and kind of walked through, gone to the shadow lands, you know, and returned in some ways, right? Um, mm. There's something about, yeah, people knowing who they are that it is kind of the core, maybe the core thing about how we might structure our societies yes. and all our growth yeah. and development pieces. So. Mm-hmm. Is there a story or an example um, of a young person or of a group that you might want to share from your work, um, you know, in the yeah. only couple of years, you know, a few years that you've been doing it that, yeah. you know, that might illuminate kind of possibility? Yeah. There was a session I was running in the detention centre in Dondell and I was doing a soccer uh, program, a football program. Uh-huh. Yeah, nice. And, <laughs> and um. So basically, I realized very early on because my principal would give me a soccer ball whenever I would feel angry, and she just like she'd be like, "Go to the oval," and literally, like, just give me my soccer ball, and I'll just come back after ten minutes. I'm like, oh, "I'm ready to go to class," and I realized actually there's life skills in sports in soccer. You know, like yeah. there's life skills, and I did the soccer session. I did some dribbling and footwork, foot control with the ball, and I had a young person say to me, "Miss, Miss, look at my control," um, in regards to his footwork, uh. and I said to him. Where else do you need control? And it goes my emotions. Uh-huh. That's why. And I just that I haven't done anything 
but I've done it. I've, I've designed the program in such a way that they can almost learn for themselves. It's almost like I'm not even here and they, yeah. they take control of that learning. So when we start to have those conversations and we unravel, actually, you're not here because you stole. You're here because the reason why you stole is because you're feeling angry about this situation and you just unpack so much. And then that's when we can start putting support um, systems in place and going, actually, what support do you need when you come out of here? So... Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, like it's it's finding the possibilities, you know, and I actually firmly believe, and I'm sure people would disagree with this, but I don't think we can actually teach anybody anything. People can only learn it. And so it's why we should, rather than saying teaching and learn, we should say learning. Yes. Yeah, and teaching, you know, it's kind of the other. Mm -hmm. And so because then then what we do is we think more about creating an environment. We think more like a designer or an architect or a gardener. Right, as opposed to a trainer or a transmitter, you know, or an instructor. You know, you could have instructed him and said, "Hey, do you know what else you need controlling is your emotions?" I he wouldn't, mean, a, wouldn't could have you Imagine, yeah, he would be like, <laughs> get, out of my, "Get out of my face!" You know, like, <laughs> I'm just dribbling the ball, kind of, you know, and it <laughs> and it would destroy. And that I think orientation is the most powerful thing that you're sharing here, Sizzle, which clearly is a part of who you are and the work you do. Is how do you create an experience and an environment? where someone yes. comes to a profound realization themselves. Yes. And that is what being an amazing educator is. Yes. And it's what's happening all, already, but it's how we shift the system so that that can be the, the modus operandi of the entire the default. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like what I do want to see, and I hope, you know, the way, because I was quite impressed with the engagement strategy. Like, I, I can openly say that I was quite impressed like with how it just yeah, from the consultations to the launch, I was, you know, and even like being a, you know, around 10 members, like I, I went to Alice Springs with Minister Moss and launched this and had an opportunity to speak in, in front of, you know, the cameras and say, this is actually what I want to see done. And that demonstrates what service-driven leadership is. You know, she really demonstrated, that department really demonstrated that actually we serve the people and by mm. having the people on that journey, and I think they need to continue that. And I hope to be, I hope to have see young people in a way in parliament. I know it's, it's, you know, I know it's all the politicians in there, but we want decisions made by us, not for us. That's mm. a big thing for me. I don't want to be told what's going to be implemented. I want to be there and have my input and have other young people's input in there. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's what I want to see in the future. It's wonderful. And I think, you know, this, this shift towards new power, to away from representative to participatory, you know, yeah. away from informing and even things like consulting to co-design, you know, and yes. really seeing this shift of we're only able to evolve if we do this together. I think it mm-hmm. brings us full circle to where we started, you know, that everyone's unique and everyone's doing their own, well, has their own path to walk and how can we all yeah. powerfully own that? Sizzle, mm-hmm. you're such an inspiration. Such an inspiration. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I, I have one last question for you, which is, uh, you know, we've spoken a lot of kind of about personal growth, adversity, um, education, engagement. What is the take-home message you want to leave for us today? I think service-driven leadership. That's focus on serving. Serve your community. Find a problem that you can work towards fixing. And don't worry about the rewards. Find what you're passionate about and how can you better your community. That's that's my take-home message. Sizzle, thank you for joining us. And more importantly, thank you for what you do. 
It's really inspiring work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.